0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: Hello, and welcome to The B-Side for episode 1645 of our national conversation about conversations about race, trying to make sense. I'm Anna Holmes, here with Tanner Colby. Hey, Tanner. And Baratunde Thurston.
2: Hey, Baratunde. Hello, Anna. Hey.
1: Um. So, just so our listeners know, we're on a little bit of a compressed schedule today. So, because um,
2: democracy's yeah. about to
1: end, <laughs> <laughs> and so we're going to address as many of your letters, voicemails, et cetera, as we can. But we're also going to save some for later episodes. So it's, this is going to be a shorter B side. We have heard you, though. We will we will return to your commentary at a later date. But let's just get started. So on our last episode, we discussed the ways we've been trying to make sense of Donald Trump's election to the White House, Groper of the free world, liar in chief, Um, those are my names for him. As you can tell, we have feelings about this, and needless to say, you all have them too. So here's our producer, AC Valdez, with some of what you had to say.
0: Hey, everybody. So I want to start with this call from Eula in Seattle.
3: Hey, everyone, this is Yula from Seattle, and I wanted to comment on episode 1645, trying to make sense. So I'm a black woman born and raised in Seattle, and some would call this a blue state. About six months ago, I realized Trump was going to win. I've been watching all I could on the election, listening to all the podcasts and talking to all my peers, when I thought, if everyone is saying exactly what I'm thinking, how is Trump doing so well? I realized then how disconnected we all, from, we all are from each other. I've never really been a, a big fan of Tanner's, Mainly because of things that he says, like, there are so few white people who deal constructively in this area, i.e. race. Many opportunities come to me by virtue of being one of the few guys who does it. And so it only improves my life. You know, Tanner, when you say things like this, it sounds exploitive, despite the fact that I do appreciate your honesty. So this last episode, though, Tanner gave up the goods that I've been dealing with and sorting through. Um, White people are ignorant. They are guilty and fearful. And let us not forget that ignorance is bliss, guilt is rarely a useful tool, and fear keeps us focused on the past and are worried for the future. As Tanner said, he's been white for 41 years and is related to these folks that we think we know so much about, but clearly know nothing because none of you guys called this election. In 2008, when everyone we know celebrated Obama's victory, everyone we don't know mourned the way that we are now. And these elections really turned the tables on us. This is the same America it was before the election. I've been comparing it to living comfortably one day, and then you go to grab a midnight snack and discover you have roaches. And you may have had them since the day you moved in, but you never knew. No one's out to battle, right? So now's the time to put your cookies in the plastic bag, and then put the plastic bag in the cookie jar, and then put the cookie jar in the high cabinet, and add, you know, raid to your shopping list. And as upset as you are, as upset as you are about the roaches, at least now you know. And so you're going to be more careful and more clean. But you need to take one more step and figure out how they got in in the first place, um, so that this never happens again. Like Tanner, I've been checking, um, conservative and nationalist media, and I suggest you guys do the same. Um, this might sound weird, but it's been comforting for me to know how, um, how they're thinking and where they're coming from. And, um, and I feel like the only way for me to combat this is with empathy and understanding, because they did not do that for me when Obama won. So, this is what I would have hoped that they had done. So I'm going to give it a go for them. Um, P.S. I know they're all still a bunch of fools, but they're family to a lot of people that I know. I mean, I live in Seattle and then last but not least, you guys, I have a podcast called hella black, hella Seattle. If you want to pass it on. Thanks so much
1: for your time. Okay.
0: Tanner, do you want was to, was there a question? There? I think you need really? to take a bow.
1: <laughs> well, do <if> you <laughs> want to address what she, what she said, which, I mean, bowl, which part of it, any part of it.
0: I mean I, I mean the, the part about you know me saying that the benefits of engaging race for me comes off as exploitative I, I really think it's the wrong way to look at it I don't profit off of the the pain and misery of black people i I you know if you if you live life the right way you make your living and 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 improve yourself as a person by doing the right thing which is what I try to do if, if that seems exploitative I'm you know I'm sorry
2: I love the commentary. I think we should let it sit. I mean, she said, okay. there's no point in repeating it. Thank you so much for saying all that you said. And I just, I double down on the recommendation to consume other media.
1: Yeah. I, I, I don't think I'm I'm personally at the point right now where I can muster a lot of, of the empathy mm-hmm. or desire to reach out in a way that broadens my understanding of the way that a lot of this country thinks that's not like me. I, I think I, I'm personally just too, um, I, I'm kind of digging in right now, but I but I also am aware of the fact that that might be that might be temporary.
0: Well, yeah. it, it's also true that like you know because I followed National Review, The Federalist, and all most of those were the conservative media's were all never Trumpers. Yeah. So yeah. if you read the conservative media for the last six months, you also got a distorted view because they were all. I mean, they were all Hillary's a criminal and she's a socialist and she's going to eat us and destroy us. But they were all Trump is horrible and despicable. The pro-Trumpers and the sort of the recriminations against the left for being in their bubble it's really within the last nine days that those voices have started creeping out and you see these anonymous trump supporters writing their haha liberals articles that uh, i've been reading against
2: my will but i haven't seen any of those i feel better
0: (laughs) ac do you want to go on to the next one yeah actually And speaking of consuming uh media from the other side
2: or one of the other sides uh this caller is frank from nashville
4: hi guys let me just say this on the front end: big, big fan of the show. My name is Frank Dehazy, and I'm calling from Nashville, Tennessee. You know, a lot of the show just, as somebody who's more on the conservative spectrum of things, uh, you know, comes off as as fairly liberal. And I mean this in the in the most non-political sense. But it almost seems as if being a person of color is conflated with being liberal, when when in fact, you know, there are conservative individuals who, uh, you know, come from a uh, different background rather than the uh, Anglo-Saxon, such as myself. I'm I'm a Hispanic guy. And, you know, just listen to the uh, podcast that y'all released right after the election. And it just seems that it's very hard for a lot of the media to imagine this. But, um, you know, it's really not that difficult for, for those of us who live outside of the coasts to imagine this, you know, while I am a conservative, I did not vote for Donald Trump. Just not something I was willing to do. But personally, I always thought the election was going to be extremely close. You know, the Democratic Party just doesn't seem to do a great job about reaching out to uh, the Blue Dog Democrats that we that we used to have. You know, I think there's many reasons for that. Uh, one is that they're dying off. And, uh, you know, we can definitely blame gerrymandering on that. Yeah, just wanted to give you all that feedback. And again, really appreciate everything you guys do. Great show. And uh, I'll continue to listen. I may, I may be the uh, only uh, conservative listener y'all have, but again, really enjoy the show. Thank you, guys.
2: Nashville, Tennessee, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. So point for me. Uh, no, thanks for, the, <laughs> thanks for the call. And uh, yeah, it is. I'm glad you didn't vote for Trump. I think it would be actually hard to imagine he did receive like the lowest percentage of uh, Latino votes in presidential history. I think there's a, a reason for that, even though it's not all about immigration. He's a pretty nasty dude. So um, yeah, I think you're right. We have a hard time imagining that we're all pretty liberal. We're all living in New York City. And there should be room for a more nuanced and complicated discussion. I think one of the, de- the travesties of this election is that We lowered our imaginations, we lowered the level of discourse, we lowered the creativity because it became about really foul, vile, extreme statements uh, and beliefs and actions by one candidate and a bunch of nonsense perpetrated against the other candidate who was also very flawed herself. Uh, Hillary Clinton was not perfect, but we didn't have the kind of discussion that we could have had Mm -hmm. because we had such an extreme polarization going on. So in that sense where we're forced to be binary because... That's the system that we have. It doesn't surprise me that the assumption is that most people of color are going to be aligned to the left because uh, the right's been doing its best to make life hell for us in the form of a candidate who explicitly called for that.
1: I would say even before Trump was a candidate, I would argue that the right was doing a lot. I think that, that a lot of people of color's negative reaction to the right and to the Republican Party had to do with policies and rhetoric that they were putting forward that directly... Created a lot of existential angst. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it, it, it's denying certain populations the right to vote, or at least the access, you know, right. to voting, or or rhetoric around pushing uh, immigrants to this country out of the country. I guess I'm trying to say that I don't think that people of color need to apologize <laughs> for for having a perhaps left, more left, liberal viewpoint because of, as I said, the very existential threats that that they face or feel that they face based on rhetoric and policies coming from the other side i may not have said that decades ago i but but i feel that way definitely now
0: i i had an interesting experience writing my book i saw over the past eight years i grew up in alabama we were all good little republican reagan rugrat foot soldiers you know as i wrote this book and as i studied race you know and then i moved to new york and i became sort of a crusading self-righteous white liberal kind of type of person and you know sort of reflexively defended things like affirmative action and busing and and these programs without really understanding all the complicated mechanisms underneath them that caused them to succeed and fail in different ways and as i studied race and i looked at it more a strange thing happened was that i found myself becoming less republican and more conservative Mm -hmm. in the sense that you see when you look at these sort of big sweeping federal programs that that you know, big city liberals tried to impose on the whole country that yeah, they were necessary in many ways, but that those big sweeping top level government solutions weren't going to move the dial that much without some bottom up cultural changes through churches and, and local schools. And it's you know more of a conservative idea of how to mend community and family. Those two things had to work together. And it couldn't just be we're all going to get on a bus and go to a different school and this is going to fix itself. But at the same time, less Republican because you cannot study the last history of the last you know 50, forty, fifty years of race in this country without seeing the deliberate ways in which the Republican Party harnessed the white backlash to the civil rights movement, used it to fuel the Reagan Revolution, and has aggressively courted policies like voter suppression and gutting programs for low-income families to deliberately maintain their their white voting majority. And so, where does that leave? the centrist person of color or the centrist white person who, yeah, like I'm not necessarily a big government liberal. I'm willing to see compromise in a lot of these. Let's never forget that redlining and, and federal housing subsidies are new big deal government. democratic programs. Well, and yeah. well,
2: slavery was a big government program. Exactly. So exactly. <laughs> there exactly. is cause for right. cause
0: yeah. about that. But the Republican party, as much as Clarence Thomas is vilified now, if you go back and you read some essays he wrote in the early eighties, very cogent arguments for why people of color can't afford to marginalize and ghettoize themselves inside one party that will take it for granted. But then the divide kept getting deeper and deeper and people like Clarence Thomas were just stranded on the over, on the other side and had became even more extreme in their views and then everyone else went to the other side and people of color and white people who care about racial justice just can't get down with the Republican Party on any level. Yeah, it, Through Romney and Ryan, you could maybe convince yourself that... Oh, they, you know deregulation was going to help poor black people. I don't know. Whatever you could convince yourself of that, but like you can't now. You have a white nationalist party, and you have an everything else party. So even if you believe that conservative small government solutions are the best way to help people of color in this country, yeah, the Republican Party is not a no longer They're a vehicle not for that. a
2: valid carrier of that ideology right. anymore. Hmm. They and they made they did that to themselves. Right. No one forced them to embrace that.
1: Do we want to go on to another? Sure. Let's do one
2: last call. And uh, this caller did not leave her name. Ooh, anonymous.
5: (laughs) Hey guys, I just wanted to send in my thoughts for the Trying to Make Sense podcast. And this is in response to a comment, I believe it was Tanner made, saying that millennials don't know the consequences of the vote they cast. And I can't disagree with that more. It's... Completely dangerous to spread that type of rhetoric that just because someone's, you know, 22 instead of 52 that they don't know the consequences of their actions when it's that kind of thinking that got Brock Turner, you know, six months of probation for raping an unconscious woman behind a dumpster be simple because he was 21. Trump voters knew exactly what they were doing when they voted for him. He was very clear about what he wanted to do. He was very clear about what he wanted to accomplish. He was very clear about doing unconstitutional, harmful damage to millions of people. Mike Pence is one of the most anti-gay politicians in decades and people still went out and voted for him none of that is a secret and people still voted for him people knew what they were doing maybe they don't 110 percent agree with it but they're still complacent in it and even that is dangerous and people knew that whether they were 18 and voted voting or 27 or 54 please don't spread dangerous rhetoric that just because someone's young that they don't know what they're doing (laughs) thank you (laughs)
0: <laughs> I don't. I, I don't recall saying that. I think I may have said I, or from what I intended to say. Basically, we were. I think we were talking about anyone who didn't vote. I don't. Remember I don't. The context yeah, of the I. Statement.
1: I don't remember that either. But the thing is, I do agree with her, but I also disagree with her. I, I do think people have agency and they should be held accountable for the votes they cast. On the other hand, I don't agree with her that that all of these things were clear. That Mike Pence's virulent. Um, homophobia was clear to all voters. I think there are a lot of things about both candidates that were not communicated effectively effectively by the campaigns, um, either about what their own policies were or the problems they had with the other candidates' policies, and I think that the media um, didn't do the best job at communicating those things either. So... I also don't think that Donald Trump was particularly clear about what about what his policies would be. I think in some cases he was, but he also often contradicted himself. Yeah. So I don't think it's as cut and dry as the, as the listener is, is making it out to be. I, I don't think that things were clear. I do, again, give agency to, to voters. And I, and I think I, we had a kind of discussion about this last week right. where I was feeling like you were denying Trump voters agency or kind of excusing them. And, I'm not, well, and, and I don't want to get back into that debate. But I'm just saying right. I don't think things were as clear as they could have been. And I think that's the fault of, it's the fault of a number of institutions and people
2: on a number of levels. Right. I did a little bit of uh, digging while listening to our caller. And yeah, millennials voted for Hillary Clinton. And if they were the only ones to vote, she would be president-elect right now. They voted more for third parties than is the norm. And more of them stayed home than is the norm. And there's no surprise to me about why that happened. This was a, an ugly campaign. All sides were exposed as colluding, corrupt, lazy, selfish, and self-interested parties. You had a total exposure from the Democratic side of these Podesta emails and of the make Bernie's path a little harder, Debbie Wasserman, like all that stuff does not, there was no inspiration in this campaign. Hillary Clinton wasn't inspiring. She was not Donald Trump. And she had been around a long time. She has an inspiring life story, but it was compromised. And whether it's the Goldman Sachs speeches and the transcripts and all that, like it it just, it was not, it was the opposite of an Obama era campaign. Trump was inspiring to some horrible people for horrible reasons and to others who were just pissed off because everything feels like it's broken. And so, but in that environment where you're, you have two bad choices, seemingly, even if one is clearly worse, it doesn't surprise me very much that a younger voter is just not feeling that motivated. And then you hear Jill Stein articulates some ideas. You hear, well, Gary Johnson's interesting, but there is some a very clear explanation for a protest vote against the nonsense. And I think it's, you know, the result is horrible. I think it's bad. I think it's bad for the world, but it's not unexplainable. Yeah. And uh, it makes it makes a lot of sense. And this was not a, this was an, the least inspiring presidential campaign that uh, I have been alive for. And I convinced myself that John Kerry was amazing.
1: Do do you think that part of that it was that Hillary was not inspiring? Well, first of all, I'd say she wasn't inspiring to you. She was inspiring to people. Mm-hmm. But could the reason be that she didn't have this widespread foment or widespread sense of inspiration because she's so familiar and has been around for so long. There was, you know, in last week's episode there was a conversation that Adam was having where he was kind of comparing Obama and Trump yeah. and the and, and and the ways in which they inspired their respective voting audiences and he made the you know he made the argument that they felt new to the voting public and that that may have explained why Trump was so inspiring maybe it wasn't so much his policies but just the fact that he felt I mean, I don't agree with that. It's fresh. But, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's so many variables here, which is like, one, there's there's a study that no president has ever been in public life for more than 14 years from when they got elected to their first national office to when they won the presidency. Mm -hmm. No one has ever been around as long as Hillary Clinton won the presidency. Mm -hmm. Because people are, like I say, people were Fatigue. Fatigue. And also, George uh, Herbert Walker Bush is the only vice president to succeed his own president in like 80 years. That's a trend that, I mean, there's just so many foundational trends that were going against Mm -hmm. her, then all of the, you know, fair or unfair baggage, well, mostly unfair baggage of the emails and, and everything else and Benghazi and all the whipped up hysteria in the phony Fox news, uh, news silos, misogyny on top of that. Then there's the Hillary specific misogyny on top of that. And then there's, you know, some bad messaging and strategy on her campaigns part. That's now coming out about how they failed to target the right areas. You know, it's just, it's a perfect storm, both through the entire Republican primary. I mean, basically, Donald Trump is a stress test for our democracy. I mean, we just set an elephant loose in the middle of what we thought was a secure area, our (laughs) electoral process. And he just went, I'll bang into this, I'll bang into this. And he's just knocking everything down and and revealing to us that what we thought was a stage secure system was actually very, very fragile and.
1: Thanks for weighing in, everyone. If you want to be part of the B-side next time, uh, give us a call and leave a message at our phone number, which is 612-888-RACE. If you feel like writing, you can still email us or send a voice memo. The address is showaboutrace at gmail.com. Check your podcast app soon. The main episode is on the way.